Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Are you a dragon boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon fiber dragon boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the dragon boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Thanks for listening. On this episode... Harvey Singer and Vicki Singer-Wolf, brother and sister, and also co-founders of his breast cancer organization, joined us on the podcast. Harvey and Vicki both shared their breast cancer stories. Through Harvey's struggles of navigating a disease that is predominantly impacting women, Harvey and Vicki founded his breast cancer to serve as a resource for other men also impacted by this disease. Take a listen in. This is a great story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Harvey Singer and his sister, Vicki Singer-Wolf. Um, Harvey and Vicki are the founders of his, his breast cancer organization, and um, they are a brother and sister that both have been diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your stories, um, but first of all, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate your, your time today. Anytime. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Um, so Vicki, let's start with you. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about your breast cancer story and then Harvey will talk about yours. Okay. Um, well, again, thank you for, uh, for having us and I'm glad I can share, you know, this important information and I hope that it will help many others as well. Um, so I started having my first mammogram at 35 because, um, um, mother was diagnosed in her 70s with breast cancer, and we have an aunt that was diagnosed in her 70s as well with breast cancer. Um, at 37 years of age, um, I had my uh, mammogram done and was discovered that I carried uh, DCIS, um, diagnosed with DCIS in the right breast and completed a lumpectomy. Um, but I'm only 37, don't need to do too, you know, be too aggressive. Um, unfortunately, again, at 39 years of age under, uh, through a routine mammogram, um, I was again diagnosed with, uh, DCIS in the same, uh, breast, but it was a new cancer, um, not something left over. And, uh, 
again, I chose a lumpectomy, discussed this with my breast surgeon, you know, he gave me all the options, but I thought I'm only 39 years old. My mother and aunt were in their seventies. You know, what are the chances that, you know, I'm going to have to deal with this again? Um, I stayed with very strong surveillance, uh, mammograms every six months, um, and to a point where it became mammograms at six months and breast MRIs at the other six months. So we were watching, you know, closely. Um, unfortunately, at 47 years of age, um, I was again uh, diagnosed only this time. It was invasive, uh, still again in the right breast. Um, caught early because we've been keeping a close watch on it, so thankful for that. Yeah. Um, so I went ahead and I had the lumpectomy. Uh, it fortunately um, was not in the sentinel lymph nodes. So, uh, we didn't go any further with that. Uh, what I did discover at that time, um, was I learned about genetic testing, uh, about the BRCA gene, uh, something that was just really, you know, uh, people were starting to chatter about. Um, and so I went ahead and decided to have the genetic testing because I, I, I live a pretty healthy lifestyle. I'm very health-minded. I exercise. I try to, you know, eat healthy. Uh, um, and so, you know, I thought something's happening out of my control. Why Why am I, you know, continually being diagnosed uh, with breast cancer? So, um, unfortunately, I discovered at that time that I carry the BRCA2 uh, genetic mutation. Um, and for anybody that's not really familiar with that, you know, that is a uh, breast cancer, that's part of the BRCA, that's what they call it, a breast cancer gene mutation. Everybody carries the BRCA2 gene uh, only when it, when there's a mutation in that, in that uh, gene that becomes the issue. Um, and that's what, uh, that's what I found. So with that, it put me at a higher risk for um, ovarian cancer and other cancers. So I went ahead and had a full hysterectomy at that time. And I also uh, completed six and a half weeks of radiation. Um, and I also went on tamoxifen because my uh, cancers were all estrogen and progesterone uh, positive, uh, meaning that they, you know, grow and more, the cells are, are more fed by the, the hormones and so more likely to develop the cancer. So this is uh, one step in helping to try and prevent that. Um, finding out I carried the BRCA2 mutation, I shared that with uh, both of my brothers. Um, I also have three sons and uh, who were um, college age, so I could give them a little information. Um, I wasn't as concerned about them, um, but, you know, having brothers also, uh, it was something that I knew needed to, there to be a discussion about for higher risk of prostate cancer, melanomas, pancreatic, whatever. Right. The um, list so, is, the list is long, yeah. quite honestly. Exactly. So exactly. Let me ask you a um, quick question. Um, so 2009 sure. is when you had your third diagnosis, correct? And the... No. No, my, my third diagnosis was in 2005. Oh, it was 2005. Uh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. okay. And then, so when, when was the first diagnosis? What year was that? 
1995. Okay. So yeah, I was um, sitting here trying to do all of the math in my head, <laughs> um, <laughs> just trying to figure things out. Because yeah, I mean, the, the conversation about the genetic mutations really wasn't happening um, in 1995. It really kind of came in that early mid 2000s. Um, Correct. You know, Correct. So, so 1995 and 1997 were my first DCIS diagnosis. So there really wasn't, you know, discussion about that. It wasn't until 2005 when, you know, um, and into, yeah, and into 2006. But when I started, I went to see um, an oncologist and, and sitting there in their office, you know, he said to me, have you ever thought about genetic, you know, genetic testing? And I'm, I don't know anything about that, you know, so gave me the pamphlet. And uh, uh, from there, I did have my testing uh done at um, University of Pennsylvania in the, in the Perlman Center there. Um, and uh, I went through genetic counseling first. They, you know, really gave a good explanation and detailed information. I definitely went into it with eyes wide open, you right. know, with a good understanding. Um, and that's why at that point when I found out I carried the BRCA uh, mutation, I also had a complete hysterectomy. So 2006, I think I'm really well ahead of the game. Um, you know, I, I have a good understanding of why, what I need to do to help with prevention. Um, you know, taking tamoxifen, completed the radiation, had a full hysterectomy. So, you know. Doing all the things you can do. <laughs> Living the healthy you lifestyle. Think. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I'm like, you know, okay, I, I got to be great now, you know. And then I was until November 2006. Um, when fortunately I had, it, it was my six month uh, surveillance with a breast MRI where they thought they saw something. They actually sent me for a mammogram and an ultrasound and did not see it in the mammogram and ultrasound. So they sent me back for another breast MRI and they did still see it at that point. So to me at that point, it wasn't even a question. I knew if they saw it again in the MRI that it was there and there was something. Um, uh, again, fortunately caught early because, you know, at least I was uh, doing well with surveillance. So, uh, but I, I knew that if, when it came back again, that th there wasn't a, another decision for me, I needed to uh, complete a double mastectomy, um, which I did. And did uh, they not, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think like, you know, one diagnosis, two diagnosis, three, you know, did they offer that as an option? I mean, were they having that conversation with you at that point so, in time? Uh, yes, a little more strongly okay. after the third diagnosis, um, you know, and that's why I took I did the uh, genetic testing. Um, but by the time I got done, the radiation, the hysterectomy, going back for a mastectomy at that point, it was it was a little more difficult to swallow. It's to a be lot. quite honest, I you know I've been through a lot, and I really thought that I was well ahead of the game. Now, um, I also there. This is not uh, scientific. This is just what worked for me. Honestly, I felt like my body wanted to make breast cancer, and if I remove my breast, and I'm at a higher risk, I don't know where to check. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, really that. You know, it's not anything that I would have necessarily thought of, but you're right. I mean, where, where, where would it go? Like if, if, yeah. you know, at that point you're, you know, X number of diagnoses in, where do I look now? 
Right. And that's kind of where I'm at now. So now I've had the double mastectomy. I did complete chemotherapy. Um, I am on an Arimidex um, and uh, will be for whatever, five to 10 years to be determined. Um, And now it's, you know, now it's the unknown. I don't know what lies ahead. So that's, you know, hopeful. That's all I can be and continue to, to stay positive and continue to live my healthy lifestyle. Um, so that's, that's my, you know, that's, that's where I fall into all this. Now I shared that with my brother, um, and Harvey, you know, uh, understood. So you said it, two brothers, right? Uh, yes, two we brothers. have two brothers okay. and, uh, but you know, Harvey did call me, um, in 2008 and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Harvey, right? I think it's 2008 and said, uh, so I have a little something um and i'm on my way to the doctor and i'll I'll let harvey pick up and tell his story from there um but you know but fortunately because of our understanding and our family health hereditary issues um he was very quick to respond and that's that's the most important you know so so yeah harvey we'd uh definitely like to hear your story the the question i have um before we actually start is did you based on vicky's knowledge and having the genetic mutation did you go and get tested for the BRCA mutation first or did you happen to find the lump first no i was actually about four months after she filled me in on the the potential risks and i said well you know, that's, that's understandable, but I'm not going to get breast cancer. And she said, well, you know, you can get prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer from it, melanoma. And I said, oh, you know, that's like every other stupid guy. I said, okay, you know, I'll take that under advisement, never thinking that I would get breast cancer because it's just such a small minimal number of people that get it. Uh, And then four months later, I was with a bunch of friends in a, a weekend in Chicago. And one of my friends came up and he'd gives me this really big bear hug, big guy. And when he hugged me, I got this pain that shot from my left nipple into my ear, like somebody had just put a knife through me. So when I got back, I started poking around and that's when I kind of felt something that um, was underneath my left nipple that didn't feel right. And I showed it to my wife and she goes, oh, you're always looking for something because I'm, I guess I'm a hypochondriac or what. (laughs) And she said, if you're worried about it, go to the doctor and, you know, check it out. So I, made an appointment the following four days later I was on a business trip I came back I went to the doctor and it took her about I don't know a minute and a half to basically put her hand on my chest and go I'm sending you for a mammogram and I said a mammogram you know how's a guy going to do that she goes don't worry they'll do it and she goes it was a Friday afternoon she goes I just don't want you to sit around all weekend worrying about this so I'm going to find out what's going on but as soon as she said that and I kind of went back into Vicky's history I knew I was kind of in trouble, and after the mammogram, I really knew I was in trouble. So, I mean, it all just went, you know, 100 miles an hour after that. But Absolutely. Uh, so, I'm going to pause real quick because, you know, I kind of have the same question that you did, um, and obviously not being a man. Um, how did they do the mammogram? Like you said, um, they'll just make it work. The same, they would, they would, the same way they would do it with a woman with small breasts. I mean, they okay. basically squeezed it in there and... Um, which wasn't comfortable because there was, you know, a tumor right under that nipple. And when they squeezed it, it didn't feel, you know, all that great. Um, and then they, once they saw the picture, they, you know, went and did an ultrasound and decided it was calcified. And once it was calcified, you know, once there was calcification, 
they kind of knew what was going on. So schedule me the following Tuesday for a, a needle biopsy. But at that point, you know, I didn't have to wait for a call after the biopsy. I, I knew what was going on because Vicky had informed me. And then I started to do my own research and found out that I was, you know, part of that less than 1% of breast cancer diagnosis for being a guy. You know, it's about a little less than 1%. I think it's 0.06, actually, the amount of male breast cancer diagnosis that there are to female breast cancer diagnosis. Um, but I knew what I was dealing with. So I called Vicki and discussed options and, you know, how to go about what to do next and found myself, did some homework and found a breast surgeon and started the whole process and had a mastectomy. And, um, basically a month and a half later, I had a full mastectomy on my left breast. At that time I was offered to have a bilateral um, but I wasn't ready to make that decision. And there weren't, you know, they said the amount of recurrence was so minimal for a guy to be in the other breast. It was minimal to be in the first breast. So I opted to just have the, the left side removed retrospectively. Now I'm 11 years out. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably should have done both because I still go for like Vicky annual, semi-annual MRI conjuncting with, um, mammograms on the other side. Okay. Um, and then 18 months later, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer from the same genetic mutation. Oh, geez. So did which they... Which I actually think I had first, but, so, you know, Sorry, I missed that. What was that? I said, I actually think I had the prostate cancer first because I was being... Um, I was under the watchful eye of a urologist as my PSA was increasing dramatically. And they did a biopsy and didn't find anything and before the breast cancer. And then afterward, it kept going up. And then 18 months later, I was diagnosed with the with the, in two of the four quadrants for prostate cancer. So I had, I had both, I got double barreled, both caused by the BRCA2 mutation. Right. And I'm assuming they also tested you for the genetic mutation or did they just automatically assume, well, your sister has it, so you must well, have it. That, but I was tested afterward. After okay. surgery, I went through three and a half months of chemotherapy, um, prophylactic chemotherapy as they called it, because my oncotype score was high and you know, they just wanted to make sure there was no, there was no lymph node invasion. So I was sentinel node negative, but BRCA2 um, breast cancers are usually pretty aggressive. Yeah. And that's what they determined by the oncotype. So they were, you know, they, they kind of knew what it was, but I didn't do the testing until after, um, after the chemotherapy treatments had stopped. But like we knew what we were dealing with. It wasn't like, sure. it wasn't too hard to figure out what caused it, but I wanted to know for sure because I wanted to know if there was a second variance there and, you know, make sure that I have, I have two boys and Vicky has three boys, which right. is part of the, we started the foundation because each one of those boys is 50, 50 to be carrying the predisposition, the mutation. So that's one of the reasons when I went through, you know, those sleepless nights going through, you know, before surgery, after surgery, chemotherapy, and trying to find some information on male breast cancer and how to treat it, we really found nothing. I mean, it was basically, we found one or two sites that were paying homage to a relative who had died from it. And there was nothing instructional, informational for us as a guy. So, you know, I, we kind of put our heads together and said, you know, we got to do something to change this because any of our five boys may be the next one and maybe their children, if they keep passing it or just for guys in general need to have a resource to figure out how to navigate this because it's very difficult being a guy in a very pink world as we discover every oh, October. Yeah. Absolutely. We live in this world of pink and nobody ever recognizes that guys can get this disease. 
Right. And we've reached out to some celebrities that we know had had it and they were basically don't want to talk about it. They were embarrassed. And that's part of the stigma that, that goes is. along with cancer. It's like you're not supposed to get it because you're not a woman. Right. You know, you're not supposed to you gotta start playing golf from um the red tees. So we started, you know, the foundation based on male breast cancer awareness and we started the HIS, which also happens to be my initials. My middle name is Irwin. Oh. So, <laughs> I love I mean, it. Yeah, I, said, monitor, I, said, know, I said, Harvey, I, I, I said, Harvey, I know you, you always hated your middle name, but it had a purpose and it spells H-I-S with oh your initials. Gosh. So that's, that's where the his breast cancer awareness really comes from. I love it. I have the chills <laughs> right now. Like I just like that is, so, wow. That is that is just awesome. Something that, something that was obviously meant to be. Yeah. And that's, that's what we felt. We felt, you know, why, why did we get breast cancer? Why did Harvey as a guy, you know, get breast cancer? And, you know, we just felt like, you know, you can't ask why, but we can say, well, we know that we were chosen because we could do something different. And that's you know, it. To change it and then help educate and write. So, right. and one yeah. of the things, so I, I, I kind of want to back up to something that Harvey had said. Um, you know, I, I've done a number of different interviews. When I was diagnosed, um, I was 31. Um, I do also have the BRCA2 mutation as well, which came from my biological okay. father. So there's not a lot of understanding that, um, at least within the medical field, which is kind of shocking, that, yeah. you know, the genetic <laughs> mutation can come from either side. You know, like you, exactly. get, you get two sets of genes. It's not like, oh, well, you know, male, male stuff over here doesn't, you know, impact females over here. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of confusion in terms of where you can get the genetic mutation. You know, my doctor just kept saying, well, you know, your mom's side doesn't have it. So I'm sure you don't. Um, surprise. Um, you know, so that's so sad. I mean, that's what we're saying. You know, it's not just the average Joe having this conversation. You, You know, you have this conversation with people in the medical field, yes, uh, nurses, radiologists, I mean, and they are, you know, when you talk about male breast cancer, it's like their mouth just falls open, like they never heard right. of it before. And, and it's amazing to me, how, they, how do you not know about that? How do you not know that a man can be diagnosed with breast cancer? How do you know that, you know, not know that a man can carry the BRCA mutation Absolutely. and pass that on to their son or daughter, you know? Right. Um, well, so. And so it kind of, you know, what you had said to me was, you know, you can't, the information just wasn't there. And so what I have discovered in my time, um, so I'm 12 years out, but what I've discovered in my time is that, you know, there's this broad category of breast cancer and everybody feels like the people that fit into that category are people who are like 65, 70, you know, and female. Right. You know, and right. so there are different um, subcategories of breast cancer survivors, young breast cancer survivors. When I was diagnosed, nobody was having the conversation about women under the age of 40. Um, metastatic breast cancer, you know, people were not talking and they still are not talking very much about stage four breast cancer. And then men, right. you know, so it's it's these subcategories of breast cancer that, you know, I feel like have been... I feel like the the young um, breast cancer survivors, there's more conversation happening now. Um, but really, for the most part, those are three subcategories within breast cancer that have really just been kind of pushed off to the side. And let's not talk about them. You know, let's not right. let's not put our efforts into that. So, um, 
you know, I can't imagine, quite honestly, how frustrated it would have been as a man trying to find information because I know how frustrated it was for me as a female trying to find information for young cancer survivors. Right. And that's basically what we wanted to accomplish. We wanted to accomplish by the His Breast Cancer Awareness Foundation a place, a resource where guys could go or their family that of guys who were diagnosed could go. And we, we're not doctors. We can't give you anything clinically. We can't tell you to do something specific, but we can give you roadmaps of how to navigate the water and where you can get some information and more detailed information on how to get go about getting genetically tested if you think there's a chance that that's involved. Um, I think every guy that's diagnosed should immediately be destined for genetic testing so they can figure out where it came from. I mean, I know there's there's clusters around New York City from 9-11 fallout that there's a, you know, a male breast cancer cluster there. And environmental is a whole nother ballgame. But, you know, okay. if you're diagnosed, you should have a place to go and you should have an information source resource. And that's what we started. And we were the first of our type. Um, you know, we there was nothing else out there when we started. There are some others out there now, and we're happy to to coordinate with them, to work with them. I mean, the more the merrier. But yeah. we just want to add some blue to that world of pink that gets so overwhelmed every October. I was in Las Vegas over the weekend in one of the hotels, casinos. They had the spots where you put your bed on the blackjack table were pink ribbons, and. Who knows what they're doing with it, but they're not they're yeah. not talking to guys. No, you know? absolutely. It's like breast cancer awareness. Okay, we all know that there's breast cancer. We're all aware. But right. you know, as you said, the subcategories, the the specifics of guys, the specifics of triple negative or right. you know, subtypes of, of you know metastatic breast cancer are just not being it's all about woo, pink ribbon, pink dress, you know, let's let's like raise it up and raise the awareness. But I don't think we need to do that anymore. I think we need to put more money into the research for metastatic and more money into research for guys and, and then, uh, to have people aware. Right. And then we even have, you know, the professional sports teams, the, the NFL yeah. that's, you know, directed with some, their focus is, is the male audience and they come out with pink shoelaces and pink, you know, wristbands and pink shirts and everything. And, and they're not even addressing the male side of it, I mean, help educate. They've got the premier audience and they don't even help to educate them, you know, and only to make them even feel more, you know, uncomfortable with, again, pink, pink, pink. So, right. uh, you know, lots of opportunities out there. And, and that's what, you know, we try to reach not only, you know, um, the sports world, but obviously we've had, we've made changes in how you complete your, your form as a guy. If you're going in for a mammogram, you know, you shouldn't have to answer when was your last period? How many, how many pregnancies have you had? You know, um, it should be, if you are a man, skip to question eight, you know, and skip question five, six, seven. Uh, It's that simple. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, a special form. It's just make them feel comfortable. Absolutely. Um, And I think that's the biggest point too, is that the more that we keep closing our mouths about this, the more isolated men will feel like it breaks my heart that you reached out to celebrities and Quite honestly, I have done the same. Um, I have gotten zero response from any of them. Um, but it, no, nobody, you know, does not matter, um, you know, woman, man, um, young, more mature, whatever the case may be. It does not matter. Anybody who is diagnosed with cancer should never, ever feel isolated and alone. Right. Well, I feel Absolutely. that way. You feel that way right away. And that's, 
you know, most people get a cancer diagnosis and they spin out of control and they'll just do whatever their doctor tells them to do, never stopping to research or to look at their own well-being and figure out if there's alternatives to this because they're so overwhelmed with the diagnosis that they, they don't know what else to do and they believe that their doctor is smarter than they are and they probably are, but that doesn't mean there's other alternatives that you can get. I researched, I had four different I saw four oncologists before I agreed to have chemotherapy, and I actually had three totally different regimens you know, from four different oncologists. Wow. That were, and, you know, it basically came down to my research and my attending oncologist said, it's up to you. You did your homework, figure out which one makes the most sense for you. You know, this is what I recommend, and here's what my board, my tumor board recommends, but it's your call. And, you know, I felt uncomfortable making that decision, but... I had to because I didn't trust the other three. You know, why don't you guys all read from the same book? And that's what we found is that, you know, you align with a specific hospital that that oncologist works with. They follow the protocol. If you're in New York, it's, you know, Sloan Kettering. If you're in Boston, Santa Farber, wherever, you got to figure out on your own. And that's kind of what we try and do through the foundation is to help people navigate this stuff and give them options and alternatives to research on their own. Um, come up with the best decision that makes sense for them. I understand you're not a clinician, you're not an MD, but it's your, you get one chance at this. If the, if the doctor makes a mistake and you die, they move to the next patient. Right. So you only get one shot. So you better make the best educated decision you can make and in conjunction with your physician. But, you know, do your homework, find out what's best for you and don't be afraid to research it. And that's what we try and do is help people through that. That's what we try to do by helping to fund the movie Pink and Blue, Colors of Hereditary Cancer, which had a very big male breast cancer component to it. We agreed to help fund it because we felt it was important to get that documentary out there. Absolutely. Uh, and, it, you know, it's I, I wrote a book um, about my experience, about being a guy going through a woman's disease. It's called Sir, You Have Breast Cancer. I did it mostly when I was going through chemotherapy, and I had a lot of time on my hands. And, <laughs> It was a way for me, it was cathartic for me to write it, right. but it was also, you know, good for people to read it. And it wasn't a depressing book. We kind of made it a little bit humorous in places um, to kind of, you know, navigate the waters of being a guy going through this pink world of breast cancer. Right. And, you know, it's, that's, it's that kind of stuff that we've done that we feel like we've helped a lot of people with. And right. that's, right. that's the reward of this, of this, of running the foundation. And um, Vicki puts her heart and soul into, you know, updating the blogs every month and keeping on top we, of it. We have the opportunity uh, through, you know, through the blogs uh, and uh, people that have reached out, survivors that have reached out to us um, and that want to share their story too. So, you know, we can do that um, through our blogs, through the different social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, um, you know, but it's all available on the website. So somebody that's searching for inform, you know, for information and support, they also have the opportunity to read these stories and know that they're not alone. They're not the only guy out there. You know, um, there's been other people that have, you know, traveled these waters and, and hopefully the information that they all share also helps, uh, provide them with, you know, with that support. Um, so any way that we can support, you know, the, the breast cancer community, um, you know, much of the information doesn't change male to female. Um, we advocate to help, uh, get more clinical trials going on now that can include men there. It's just starting to become a little bit of a whisper, but it's, 
it needs to pick up more momentum because otherwise uh, they're treating men basically the only way they know to treat breast cancer. Absolutely. The way they treat women. Right. Um, But it isn't the same and, but they don't know. They haven't, they haven't really done enough trials and testing with men yet to know that. So they were starting to break some ground. I will tell you that when we, we are celebrating our 10 year anniversary this month and, uh, when, when we started, I mean, there, just like we said, there wasn't, you know, information out there. There was nobody talking about uh, male breast cancer. And over the 10 years, we have seen um, a great yeah, amount of growth, great change, great, you know, uh, you know, great information being shared. Um, so much has changed. Obviously, we are not near far enough or progressed enough Um, by any means. We still have a lot of work to do and Harvey and I are going to continue to, to do that, you know, you know, roll up our sleeves and do what we need to do to through his uh, breast cancer awareness, just to get that information out there and help with, you know, like I said, there needs to be more clinical trials. There needs to be more discussions. There needs to be more education and awareness. Yes. You know, because you're BRCA2 as well. I mean, there's certain drugs now, the PARP inhibitors, that when we first started, and I had a very close friend who was part of the early trials for PARP. She's since passed away, fortunately. Um, now we have specific drugs for you know, mutation cancers. We know that these work. We know that they're working towards a vaccine. Vicky's personal oncologist, who's the executive director of um, the Bassler Center at the University of Pennsylvania, Susan Domchek, she told us last year, she goes, I come to work every day with one goal in mind. It's to find a vaccine for BRCA mutation carriers so they no longer have to mute, mutilate their bodies in order to avoid getting cancer. Uh, yes. That's her whole life. And we work, we're very close with the Bassler Foundation. We work very close with them. Like I said, it's Vicky's personal oncologist. We work very closely with Force. And I'm sure you know who they are. I you do. know, face cancer yeah. empowered. And they've grown along with us. I mean, when we started with them, they were a little tiny organization too. Uh, and they've grown up quite a bit and we, you know, we appear at pretty much every one of their conventions, um, their conferences and we exhibit there and we, you know, sit on some of their, you know, breakout sessions and moderate. Um, they, they didn't include guys either for the first five years, but I know. Now, they, now they include us, you know, now they have a couple different breakouts with, you know, about male breast cancer. So it's piece by piece little by little, we're making headway, you know. And that's really all that you can do. I mean, you know, and, and to be the people that really were the agents for change, um, you know, speaks a lot about the two of you and, you know, exactly what you said, Vicki, in terms of there is still work to be done. You know, I feel like we have certainly come a long way um, for many of those subcategories within breast cancer, um, but we still are too far away from that end goal. Um, yeah. So, um, just kind of, you know, quickly thinking about, uh, ways that people can support the organization. Um, you know, I know that you have a shop on the website, um, but how do people donate? Um, do you accept donations? Um, I'm sure that you do. We do. Um, so how do people donate? Yes, thank you. Um, on the website, there is a, uh, a donate tab or a shop tab, either one, um, so they can make donations. We can send out cards in memory or in honor of uh, if they want to make a donation um, such as that um, or just in general. Um, any way that, you know, 
they can send in their stories. If there's somebody that wants to share their stories, we'll be happy to share that as well. Um, like I mentioned in, our, in the blogs, whether it's just, you know, related to maybe they have the BRCA mutation and, you know, haven't been diagnosed with anything yet, but maybe they know their carriers of the mutation or of a mutation and, and what their hereditary, you know, familiar uh, cancer history is like and just want to share that and that's okay too um and as harvey mentioned we have uh the book sir you have breast cancer it's available on our website or can be ordered through amazon um i highly recommend uh watching pink and blue colors of hereditary cancer that is available on itunes um Poland documentary, very, you know, very moving and informative at the same time. Um, so, yeah, uh, they can follow us on, again, all the social platforms. Uh, we do have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and try to share as much information as we can. I think the most important thing for a man um, is just to be aware that they can be diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, that they do have breast tissue and they're not just pecs. Um, and, you know, if they feel something or see something or, you know, they notice a change um, or just performing their own self breast exam, we have instructions how to do that as a guy um, on our on our website. Um, no different than a female, you know. Right. Check, yeah. be aware, be educated because that is the first that's the most important uh, key to, to early early diagnosis is what will help a guy. For men, so often it's diagnosed when it's much further progressed because nobody is is checking. Uh, and so we tell you know. we tell guys all the time: if you were a woman, you go for your physical. Your doctor would check your breasts. You know, they yeah. would do a, a digital exam or a, you know a, a, a manual exam. If you're a guy, they never do it. But if you ask them, they will. So we right. kind of preach that. You go for your physical every year, ask the doctor to te- check your breasts. It takes Absolutely. a minute. And it should be, realistically, it should just be right. part of the process. Right. But Especially, because it's such a small percentage, it's it's not part of the process. Right. Uh, right. I just want to reiterate, with our foundation, we are totally um, 100% nonprofit. We have no um, salaries. Again, I do not draw a penny off the foundation. Everything we go we, we take in goes back out to something that we think is either research or well-informed. To, to create more information. Um, we do it just as a total volunteer nonprofit organization. So unlike a lot of major charities that have a lot of people on the payroll, we have zero people on the payroll. There's right. zero payroll for us. It's just in a lot of things that we get done, we get done on a volunteer basis. Right. So, so if somebody wants to volunteer, how do they, do they just contact you through the website? Is that the best way? Yes. Okay. That would be the best way. Yeah, just email. All the emails go directly to us, and uh, we're reading each and every one of them. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And then, be happy. so there was a, a question that I kind of had. So on Facebook, they have the opportunity to create, like, secret groups, right? So um, is there a secret group for his breast cancer where maybe it's, you know, men that can come into that space and be able to openly share and have a conversation? Do you guys have that? Uh, we do not have a private group. We do have our uh, Facebook page, and people can always message us 
through that if they don't want to email us, but that's a good idea and I'll have to look into that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are just, there are a number of, um, you know, I'm in a number of of secret uh, breast cancer groups so that it's not public. Nobody can see when I post inside of that group. Um, sure. And certainly if you if you would need help with, with getting that set up, I would be happy to help you. But, you know, just kind of thinking of a space that, you know, men can go into and just openly share, like, this is the experience that I'm having. Um, you know, and you obviously vet people um, to come in because you don't want people that are just kind of trolling it unfortunately right. happens. But um, yeah, I mean, if it's something that you're interested in, I'd be happy to help you. But um, that's a good idea. Most guys don't want to be publicly known anyway. You know, yeah. they're still no. so, don't like to come out and talk about this. It's, it's so weird. You know, it's a medical thing, but they're so embarrassed by it that they don't want to talk about it. And, you know, it's, it's a stigma and we're trying to overcome it, but it's a, it's a very good idea because it gives them a place that they can talk freely without, with other people that are involved that, you know, they don't feel like they're an outcast. And that's kind of how I felt. I felt like an outcast at the beginning. Right. You know, like, you know, do you want to play from the red tees? Cause you're a girl now, you know, it's like, cause you had breast cancer, you get kind of that kind of ribbing. And that's the problem why men are dying faster and the mortality rates higher is because they ignore symptoms and they don't get checked and they, you know, they, they're afraid to find out guys are in general are not really good about their healthcare. Right. <laughs> they tend to push things off. It's just the part of the male being. Um, so, you know, you need some place that you can go. So I think it's a good idea. We can look into. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I want to say thank you guys so much for being willing to come on the show. I think this is a really important uh, topic of conversation. You know, my goal is to continue the the conversation for anyone and everyone that is diagnosed um, with breast cancer. So if there's anything that I can do to help support you and the organization, I would be happy to do that. But I um, certainly appreciate you sharing your stories, um, f- you know, coming up with this foundation you know, recognizing that there's a need, um, to be fulfilled, um, you know, and just giving me your time today. Yeah. You're quite welcome. Thank you. We appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Next time I'm in Phoenix, I might reach out to you. Maybe we can have a cup of coffee face to face. It'd be nice to meet with you. That would be Uh, delightful. I would love it. (laughs) So the foundation is hisbreastcancer.org or his breast cancer awareness. And you can find us just by Googling that at any time for anybody that wants us. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.